New Thinking Aloud, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be exploring hermeticism and the philosophies of hope. My guest is Dr. Mervat Nasser. She's a graduate of Cairo Medical School. She's a fellow of the Royal College of Psychiatrists in London. She holds a master's degree in philosophy and a doctorate in psychiatry from London University. And she also has two diplomas in moral philosophy and the history of medicine. In addition, she's a specialist in Egyptology and has written many books on that subject, both in English and in Arabic. She is the founder of the community of New Hermopolis in Egypt, about which we've done a separate interview, and I highly encourage viewers to check that interview out now. I'm linking to it right here in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. Her most recent book is The Path to the New Hermopolis, The History, Philosophy, and Future of the City of Hermes. Dr. Nasser is located in Cairo, Egypt, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Mervat. I am so glad to be with you after many months. I'm delighted, too. Thank you very much for having me again on your wonderful program. We're going to be talking about different philosophies of hope, and I know you relate these philosophies to the ancient hermetic system that we talked about in our previous interview. I'm encouraging our viewers, of course, to watch that interview if they haven't already done so. But what I found most fascinating about the philosophers and poets who are so hopeful that you wrote about is that many of them came out of a very dark period in human history, the first half of the 20th century in which we experienced major world wars and revolutions and uh, enormous cataclysms of starvation and, and genocide. It's interesting that some of the most hopeful philosophers would come out of that period. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is why they are very relevant. And because I think we are going through a very diff a, a very similar phase to the times that they were going through. Uh, it might be more enigmatic for us because the enemy is invisible. I mean, since the beginning of this millennium, we've been talking about war against terror. And then there is this war against this virus. And uh, humanity is all in the same boat. I mean, it, it is actually, it has no boundaries. Uh, no one can save himself. We are all in it together. And I think it's very, very much like the times that these philosophers of hope and the ones that I referred to before as pioneers of existence came out out of their darkness, out of their difficult times, and they created a system that I think is highly relevant. Well, I know you refer to 
Ernst Bloch, who was uh, one of these philosophers, a, a, a German philosopher, I believe he was also a, a Marxist, who wrote a, a book on the philosophy of hope. Uh, l let's begin by defining what we even mean by hope. Hope is the only human sentiment that we can uh, try to oppose or uh, use it as an antidote to hopelessness helplessness, despair, uh, sadness, uh, waiting. We are all waiting as well. Waiting is a very difficult emotion. Uh, fear. So it is the only antidote to all these feelings. And we all experience that. And we all talk about hope. And we will talk about hope, but we will talk about hope from a different perspective, from the perspective of those philosophers as well as the hermetic philosophy or the hermetic thinking. Um, I want to use, before going to Ernest Bloch, who is actually his book, is amazing. It is a huge book. It is a difficult book. It is a mammoth task, but it is fascinating. And it taught me a lot. And uh, I'm sure that I will continue to read it and reread it for years to come. And it is pivotal and important to the ancient Egyptian thinking, the blue lotus, the Egyptian blue lily. The Egyptian blue lily or lotus comes out from, it only grows in stagnant water. It grows in dark water. It grows in ugly water. It grows in uh, stillness, inertness, uncleanness. So out of the darkness, out of the inner pool or, or, or medium that it grows in, uh, comes movement, comes a beauty, comes elevation, comes a purity. It actually, what the ancient Egyptians noticed that the lotus flower emerged out of the water, out of this chaotic water, and chaotic water is metaphorical to any chaos. It is the beginning of everything, and the beginning of everything is chaotic. And we have to master it and order it and make harmony out of the discord. So they noticed this flower emerging, and it opened its petals and sun came out. And then they noticed that the same flower sinks into the water with the sunset and disappears, only to reappear again with the sunrise. So you have this kind of movement that comes out of nothing, ushering in new day, ushering in light after darkness, and calling for movement after stagnation uh, and after a period of stillness. So it's a lot of people come to me and see the lotus pond in New Hermopolis. And of course, they admire the flower so much. I sent you a picture of it. And uh, uh, they can't believe that the water has to remain stagnant 
and it has to come from a mud and uh, it, 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 you cannot uh, clean the water. It requires all these are requirements for the growth of the elevation and the purity to happen. This is exactly what uh, Ernest Bloch said. It is a state of non-being becoming being. For the Egyptians, non-being and being are one and the same thing, or non-being and the creation of being are all one thing. And the creation of being is not a one-off thing. It happens every day. Death happens every day and resurrection happens every day. So this is really the beauty about this symbolism and about this myth. And it is exactly what Ernest Bloch said, that non-being is a requirement for hope. Because you create yourself and you. You actually have to seek something from inside you, from the reservoir that is inside you that helps you to create your being and recreate your being and have this constant renewal and recreation. So that is, that, that is exactly what is, uh, hermeticism is about, what is Egyptian mythology is about, and also what Ernest Bloch is about. It is pioneering existence, is a starting new life out of nothing. And we have, he has an amazing, beautiful description that we all carry in our historical baggage, a surplus, a utopian surplus. This utopian surplus is the surplus of the choices. We have options. We can use these options to for the act of recreation. That's really quite beautiful. And it suggests perhaps that Ernest Bloch was responding to the sort of existential despair that uh, is sometimes described by uh, philosophers like Sartre talking about uh, the confrontation that we mortals have with our own uh, impending death. Well, that's exactly what the ancient Egyptian had. They were the first to face death and come to terms with it. So that's exactly what happened. And that's the reason why they philosophized their existence. In fact, there is a lot that needs to be read still in ancient Egyptian literature as well as in ancient Egyptian thought that, that reflects this existential look that they know, they knew the suffering of humanity. All we have, all of us don't have any say over our birth or our death, but we have every say in the time in between. So the ancient Egyptians found ways to uh, reconcile themselves with the finality of life for being mortals. Although you are actually in essence, a creator, as the hermetic philosophy says, you are a mortal god, uh, which actually shows how you carry within you the potential for doing lots of things, but you don't tap into this creativity and you carry on waiting for death or hoping for something outside to happen to make you better or to make the circumstances better. The beauty about her 
pragmatic philosophy and I would say existential philosophy as well is the fact that it gives you the power, it empowers you, that you it, it believes not in the potential of time, which is the meaning of hope that we believe things will turn out okay in the end, that things will get better as we go along, that we have to just keep carrying on. All these things, of course, we have to keep carrying on. But what I'm saying is that it's not just believing in the in tomorrow, believing that tomorrow will solve the, the crisis, will help to resolve the problems we are in or the predicament we are in. The hermetic philosophy and the existential philosophers have this idea that they believe in the potential of man, that man carries his own destiny. And the choices that you mentioned, Sartre, although I actually believe in Camus, <laughs> and Camus is actually, I think, is more existential existential than, than, than Sartre, in fact, although he denied that and he didn't like the idea that people call existential, he didn't like the idea that they called him absurdist philosopher because he, is, he was far from being absurdist. He is, in fact, the one he said that humanity has to fight death, has to fight its finality. You have a choice. You get up in the morning, you have either to keep carrying the stone like Sisyphus and continue, or you kill yourself. And all of us choose to carry on. So we have, we make our choice. So the existential question is that we have a choice and we make our choices. Uh, so I think this is the beauty that, uh, that you have to continue to believe in your own transformational energies, in your own transformational power, in, in the metamorphosis that can happen within you, which in fact is the alchemical principle, which again the hermetic principles is all about alchemy, it's all about transformation. Well, one of the principles of Hermeticism, which is often repeated, is as above, so below, which I take to mean, you know, the, the realm of the gods is also within us. Uh, but in ancient Egyptian culture, I know one of the primary myths is the battle between Horus and Set, the idea that there is a war going on in heaven. And because there's a war in heaven, there's also a war within the human soul. And therefore, uh, conflict and war is inevitable. Uh, it seems to me that the existentialists, by saying, no, we, we have the freedom to make choices for ourselves, are, are trying to break free from that idea. Uh and don't think that they will break free from that idea. I think they embrace that idea. They embrace the fact that we carry the opposites. We have this problem within ourselves. We live with the conflict. We live with the bad and the good, the, the, the soft choice and the hard choice. And many of us go for the soft choice, and that's why they feel uh, they succumb to what happens around them. They don't want to be an instrument of a change. They actually wait for the change to happen from without, not from within. Uh, 
So, but in fact, the the the, the, the ancient Egyptians, with with the example that you mentioned of Horus and Set, is exactly what Jung talked about, the opposites and the reconciliation, and William James and all this, it's the creation of the overall man, the superman, the, 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 all, the all human man. The all human man is the man that can reconcile with his fragments, with his bits and shattered pieces. I mean, Jung has, and I like the existential Jung, not the, the, the common Jung that everyone talks about. He says, I'm not what I was created. I am what I choose to be. So that is, uh, and you have Viktor Frankl, for instance, who is one of the, uh, of the existential philosophers and psychologists, of course, which is talking about logotherapy and, uh, and, and, and the meaning of, uh, of existence. Uh, and I think there is a revival for Viktor Frankl. And I think because quite a lot of people realize how relevant he is. And he is another one that came out. The concentration camps and came out of of real terror and horror, uh, and yet his philosophy and his therapy is is simple, is easy, and yet extremely difficult. Of course, I mean, which is exactly what the Hermetic philosophy is about. He even called his therapy logotherapy, which in fact he uses the terminology that are inherent in the her- in Hermeticism. So. Uh, be it the mind, the logos, the oldest thing, the nose and the, and the logos. But he says something that I actually say to myself every day. If you know the why of your existence, you can put up with anyhow. Beautifully put. And I think this is, this is exactly in a nutshell. You have to create a purpose. You have to create a meaning that you live by. It can be, he actually mentioned, it can be a responsibility that you create that will not live except through you or you are a great instrument in its survival. For instance, like what I'm doing with the new Hermopolis, for instance, uh, it is the one that's keeping me alive, but it's also killing me because logistically it's extremely difficult. And, and I'm getting older, I'm getting frailer. I, all the, there are many difficulties that I, that, that are unsurmountable. So, and yet I continue to fight because it is an existential choice. It is a responsibility that is beyond me. What is needed is self-transcendence. What is needed is the transcend your own ego and your ego wishes and your, your small things. And you start looking at bigger things and this bigger things it doesn't have to be in your Hermopolis or a big thing like that Viktor Frankl talks about someone you love and someone who your loss will will devastate him or her so it can be that your existence in life is so meaningful to many other people and so relevant to many other people so it doesn't have to be a very lofty idea or a very abstract thing or whatever. It can be a very small thing that you actually see yourself as uh, carrying through and as adding 
we all we are cogwheels we are we add something so it is doing the good in fact in the in the hermetica it says and above all comes the beauty and good deed so that's again another thing that i keep reminding myself of every day above everything comes the beauty and good deed so do good regardless of whether it will come out well in the end whether it has a chance to succeed or not when i actually embarked on the new hermopolis it had no chance of success and i i, I don't think it's successful <laughs> no. i mean i don't know i hope it will become one day uh, or uh, there are signs that it is successful but i but it will it, it is beyond me anyway i mean it is something for the future it's something uh, 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 that uh, it, it, it transcends me, proceeds, it is not me, but I am actually uh, an instrument in its creation or a vehicle that created it. So it is, this thing, the self-transcendence is importance and the creation of a purpose that it doesn't have to be, you don't have to have your eyes on uh, on the prize. You don't have to have your eyes on the on success. You don't have to have your eyes on acclaim uh, or applause. You you can't. Yeah, if you actually have your eyes on that, uh, yes, you will. You will never ever. You will wait for something outside that to happens to you. Uh, but the the hard work is to create something meaningful that adds to humanity. And yet, probably the results you will never see in your own life. It is like planting a tree, like putting the seed in the in the soil. It's creating from within yourself a soil. So the, the your soul is a soil, and whatever you harbor inside your soul is going to come out good eventually, whether be it for you as a person, or for your next generation, or maybe many generations to come. I think of uh, New Hermopolis as uh, being sort of in the tradition of many utopian communities that have been formed in in the past. I know that Ernst Bloch and the philosophy of hope writes about these utopian communities. Uh, I think he probably even thought that Marxism offered the possibility of a, a utopian society. And I think he realized that even though so many utopias have come and gone and have have failed to survive that the aspiration towards utopia remains with us in the human community uh but yes but i agree with you that uh, that uh, the idea of creating the utopia Although I, I personally, of course, when people say that New Hermopolis is like a utopian community, it was like the creation of a, of a utopian or intentional community, it is an intentional community. And I'm hoping that now, uh, especially after last year, I've been going through a crisis, no work, no money, nothing. I have to, I, I'm going to die one day. So it is an existential question. <laughs> is it going to die? Am I going to allow it to die so all these things are actually important questions and i need to help to resolve 
There will always be conflict. And that's why I believe in Ma'at, which is the principle. It is the utopian principle, and I, according to the Egyptians, but it is a possible utopia because it talks about uh, doing good in incremental way. You increase the bit of goodness you make every day. Every day you have the capacity to do something good to yourself, to humanity, uh, to the world, to the earth, to, you know, so whatever you do, at least if you transcend yourself a tiny bit every day, you will be adding to life. Uh, to the beauty of life and the goodness of life. And this is might. And incrementally, if every one of us did that, we will be able to create a better world. So I believe that, that New Hermopolis is a medium for generating this thought, uh, and, 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 uh, or, or reviving this aspiration of actually doing it together and participating as well as uh, we don't have to be either or or all or nothing it is all about moving towards the goodness regardless of what will come out in the end as long as you believe that this is good and beautiful do it <laughs> and eventually something good is going and beautiful is going to happen i believe in that one of the other philosophers of hope that you cite is Rudolf Steiner, uh, the founder of anthroposophy in Europe. And I know he w was like a Nietzschean superman. He was an architect and an artist, and he founded schools of agriculture and schools of education and schools of medicine. Uh, uh, he also built a, a wonderful building uh, was made out of wood, a natural substance. Uh, the, the original Gertianum, I understand it was burned down by the Nazis who found him uh, to be a threat. And and then before, uh, I believe before he died, he managed to actually rebuild it in concrete. Yes, and I've been to it. I visited it. So, yes, it is, uh, uh, Rudolf Steiner is a real character and uh, is a main figure. And, of course, quite a lot of people, uh, especially the green hermeticists and the ecological ones, they subscribe to his theories, especially with the idea of uh, green farming, organic farming, as well as uh, the, 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 the creation of a utopian or semi-utopian world. Uh, and uh, he was influenced by Goethe. And of course, there are quite a lot of uh, uh, writers and poets. I have to mention Rilke, for instance, that actually he is he's German and he is or Austrian, I think. Uh, he's a great man. I mean, I think there is there is a, a description that honestly um, put me, I, th I made me speechless. Um, it says something, he, it, he did it, it was after the war, uh, when he wrote his eulogies, and I think it's number 10, the ones that he wrote in uh, Trieste, uh, in Italy, and it says something like, 
uh, a childhood and future don't grow less. They grow always more. I mean, the future is always growing ahead, and the childhood is always growing. It's not diminishing. But he mentions this thing that's the excess of being that wills up in my heart or in the heart. This excess of being is that's what I'm talking about. It is, it is this fertile soul. The soul that embodies the soil and has the seeds of hope in it. And that is the description of my heart wills up with this being. The being is too much. <laughs> and this is exactly what we hope to create within us, is to see the well, is to create from ourselves a real well that is going to feed our so, uh, uh, souls and hearts and our soils as well. So that is, uh, uh, I, I, I think this is the beauty. And this is, this again comes out of real crisis, the crisis of the war and the terror of the war and the torture and the torment and everything. All these people came out from dark places. They, they, they didn't have any luxuries. They, they actually, they are amazing. They need to be celebrated every day. They need to be remembered and celebrated every day. Because the, uh, if, you, if you survive that, uh, you can survive anything. I think it was Ernst Bloch or maybe Walter Benjamin, another philosopher that you write about, who suggests that the whole history of humanity is available to us, that we, we carry it forward, the aspirations of all the people who ever lived, and that uh, it's up to us to use it, to, to make something of that. Uh, 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 Benjamin uh, talks about uh, life after history, that history is a raw material. History is a substance. It's not something that it, that it is uh, written in a stone that we have to abide by. It is uh, exactly as Ernest Bloch said, it is a reservoir. It is a reservoir of potentialities. It is a reservoir of possibilities. We cannot choose what appeals to us. And we create life after history. So history has a life. Uh, it, it, it continues to grow. It is not... Uh, it happened and it is solid and it stays where it happened and when it happened. No, it goes beyond all of that because we recreate history within ourselves. We recreate it because we revisit it. And when we revisit it, we revisit it creatively and we put ourselves in it. And, uh, and that's why there is life after history. Another one of the philosophers of hope that you cite is uh, Gene Gebser, who, as I understand it, looks at sort of the evolution of human consciousness from the original pre-conceptual archaic stage through the magical stage and the mythological stage and in, in the mental stage to something uh, yet undefined for us in the future. Uh, absolutely, and that's why let me quote this uh, from the Hermetica. 
it says, which is exactly Gibson-like, uh, make yourself higher than the highest and deeper than the depths. Embrace yourself all opposites, heat and cold, hot and fluid. Imagine yourself unborn in the womb, yet also old and already dead in the world beyond the grave. So it is all this, it is all about getting all this into the equation. You are unborn, but also you are dead, and you are alive now, which is all about the ever-present. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, Gebser is, is again one of my, my <laughs> yeah, my idols. That's such a beautiful expression. I take it to heart. I try to live my life that way. And uh, I realize it's a dance because we have our ego needs, our here and now survival needs to address, which, of course, you're going through as as well. Uh, and at the same time, we are, um, I guess the best way to put it is we are mystical beings. We have a, a part of our awareness that totally transcends the needs of the ego. What we can do, what, what within our capacity is to cultivate this mystical being, is to cultivate this spiritual dimension. So, which is hope, hope according to the hermetic uh, philosophy and the philosophers of hope, the existential ones, it is, it is a spiritual dimension. It is part of the being. It is the creation of what Rilke talked about, the, the, the full being that is going to fill up everything. So it is, uh, I, 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 I think it is uh, this potential, especially that it comes. And uh, the beauty about hermeticism and hope and the fact that it mirrors or, or all the existential philosophers and hope psychologists, they almost speak the same language and they actually admit to uh, it, 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 or they give tribute to the hermetic philosophy as well, or or to the philosophy of the ancients. I mean, uh, uh, Ernest Bloch talked about the, the, that we have to go to the to the people of the past because they, the philosophers of the past, they carry uh, all this in their head, uh, in, in their baggage. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it was, it was natural to them because they faced straight away the predicament of humanity, that the finality of life. And we are all threatened by that. I mean, interesting, actually, that if you talk about the pandemic now, because you have to come back to that, um, the word pandemic means uh, it happens to all of us. All right. It, 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 it happens to all. So we are all in the same predicament. But also it comes from Pan. And Pan is, as you know, is the son of Hermes. <laughs> so, uh, and Pan is uh, half god, half uh, animal, uh, uh, and it is uh, he is the only mortal god, according to the Greek gods or among the Greek gods, and yet 
he is the one who also uh, capable uh, of entertaining. He plays music and he's also uh, reputed for poetry and, uh, and 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 all these things. So it is it, it's a funny combination. And even the, the, despite the fact that the word panic also comes from pan because his figure. Uh, startled people, so it uh, made them panic. So the word pandemic, the word uh, panic, uh, the uh, all comes from pan, and also panacea, which is actually medicine for all. <laughs> when we are all thinking now of this vaccine that is going to be the miraculous cure or is going to prevent all that from happening. Uh, uh, and the suffering that we all have been in over the past year and God knows for how long uh, is going to go away with this vaccine. Yes, we all believe in that. And I'm a doctor myself, so I believe in medicine. But there is a, a, the panacea is actually the, the daughter of, of Asclepius, the, the god of medicine. And panacea is not only the medicine that you create in the lab. It is actually what you create within yourself as well. It is re-examining uh, your tie, your link, your relationship with the, with yourself, the others, and the world. And I think this is because it's happening to all of us. It has no boundaries, this uh, crisis we are in, that it is something that is frightening all. Um, it calls for radical uh, ideas, uh, for creative paradigms, for new shifts, for something that that uh, takes us away from the rigid patterns, from because I think they are outmoded and outdated. Well, I have interviewed a few people who suggest that the pandemic is really a reflection of our own consciousness. It's something that as above, so below, you might say. We've we've created it out of our own souls, so to speak. Yes, uh, and and I think there are literary anecdotes about the connection between pan and the technological age and the difficulties that you, you know the, the the dehumanization of our age. So, which actually again, pan is used as metaphor for all of that. D. H. Lawrence, I think, the, the, mentioned him, and I think it's. It, it, Time has come to revisit the, uh, what we've been doing for the past hundred years at least. And it's exactly the same uh, time like uh, the First World War. I mean, we are talking about the 20s of the past century. We are in the 20s now. So I think it is just time for our transformation uh, and for radical solutions and for a new shift in consciousness, a new shift in humanity, that it has to have more humanness, uh, more generosity uh, to, uh, to make the hapless happy. <laughs> and, uh, and it is like determined hope. It is a planned, designed, calculated uh, hope uh, that there is, I'm, I'm not going to give in. When people say to me, are you hopeful? I say, 
I'm not hopeful the way people think hopeful should be, but I have a desire to, to believe in hopefulness. I desire hopefulness. I'm under the impression, Mervat, that your attitude towards hopefulness is very much like my attitude towards happiness, which is that it's not something I seek, it's something I commit to. That it, I uh, commit to being happy. It's something I promise to myself. Well, I entirely agree. Yes, yes, I promise myself for as long if that's why again I like Camus. For as long as you choose life, you choose what comes with it. It is a baggage, and if you choose it, so you have to struggle through it. The Egyptians have a wonderful saying. If we can go back to what we said early on about the non-being. And being and the non-being and being and becoming and all these things. Uh, the Egyptians have a say which really goes back to the pyramid texts. This is very ancient. It, it says that uh, life is the time when a struggle or a strife has started. <laughs> so the meaning of life for the Egyptians is a strife. It's not the absence of a strife. It is a strife. That is the meaning. Yeah, so, it, 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 if you actually believe in that, and that's why this philosophy, and of course I am absolutely blessed to have read all these beautiful people who influenced me and in fact confirmed my belief in the Egyptian philosophers, that in the, that they 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 were able to the, see it through from the very beginning. They were able to come to terms with it. You have to live life as long as you choose to live it. You live it and with determined happiness, with planned happiness or hopefulness. Yeah. So it is it it is designed. It's planned. It's calculated. It's hard, it's difficult, but you do it. Because if you enter an exam, you have to study and you have to prepare yourself for it. So it is a strife. If you go for a fight, you have to be up to it. It's not a, it's not a play, it's not a game, it's not a ride. <laughs> it is more than that. And it has its joys because the victories... Uh, are uh, happen. I mean, the, we have victories, maybe short-lived, maybe uh, not very often, but they happen. And human beings are capable. They have the capacity to do so. And I think it's fair to say that win or lose, you're becoming the best version of yourself in the process. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I hope I can. I mean, it is it, it it is a process, and every day carries with it the possibility of being better uh, and recreating myself. Uh, of course, it doesn't mean that you don't uh, go through periods of severe despair and unhappiness and gloom and inertia and everything, but then. Yeah, you overcome it because you remember that you have a purpose and it is your choice. 
So uh, no one uh, pushed you to do it. It is your choice. And no one has a responsibility for it except yourself. I mean, it's just uh, it, uh, no one owes you happiness or owes you life or, uh, or is going to make it better for you. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. And it happens. And we have examples of people who came out of really, really hard times. I like to end with something, if you are going to end. I like to end with uh, Rebecca Solnit, that I ended this chapter about Hermeticism as a philosophy of hope in my book. Uh, and it comes from her book, Hope in the Dark. And it says, we roll forward looking back and telling this history is part of helping people navigate towards the future. We need a litany, a rosary, a sutra, a mantra, a war chant for our victories. The past is set in daylight and it can become a torch we can carry into the night that is the future. So... It is the Torsh. Dr. Mirvat Nasser, what a pleasure to be with you again. You are one of my heroes. Truly. Thank you. Oh, well, it means so much to me. Well, this is, I don't deserve it, but, but it means so much to me. Thank you very much. You are an incredible inspiration, honestly. And you will be welcome back anytime you're available. I will be happy to have you as a guest on New Thinking Aloud over and over again. This has been a great joy to share this time. Thank you very much, Jeff. And I am really honored and privileged to be with you. And uh, you opened new horizons to me. You added to me. And I was so touched and uh, impressed by all the people who followed uh, the program last time. In fact, I never really thought that uh, that I will have such following. So I hope that this one will uh, will be well received as well. I'm sure it will be, and I look forward to more in the future. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you also for being with us.